we have Terry Jane Griffin, who's Eno's producing director, and Nick Sperling, who is a uh, production manager working freelance but on uh, the Eno production of Porgy and Bess at the moment. Thank you both so much for being here. So we called this salon uh, being a producer. We want to talk about what it's like to work in production. Um, so hopefully we'll hear from both sides of Nick and Terry Jane's expertise. So maybe as a starting point, in your own words, as an overview, how might you describe your role? So the producer basically has an overview of the whole project virtually from the moment um, your artistic director has the idea until the curtain came, comes down on the last performance. And for me, the most exciting thing is being involved in that artistic process right from the very beginning because you do have an opportunity to have an influence on how the piece develops, how the production develops. Um, you certainly have a big say in how the money is spent. And at the end of the day, you actually get to sit there on the first night and think, I contributed to this. You know, it's just... Sometimes it's so exciting to get to a first night and see what you've produced. Sometimes it doesn't quite work. You know, and, and, and that also is just part of the process. But when it really does, then uh, it is just yeah, beyond exciting, I think. Yeah, um, as production manager, um, I normally get involved slightly late in the process. Um, I normally get brought in at what we call the white card model phase, where Terry Jane as producer and has already brought together the creative team. They've already thought of a design of a concept for the production that they're going to do. And then I'm brought in to look at the technical feasibility of what they actually have thought up of and what they physically do is make a model of the production as it's going to be on our stage in a white card. So it's literally white card, it's got very little detail to it, but we're looking at the big scale dimensions to see whether the production will fit on the stage physically, just when it is actually playing. But particularly to E&O and the Colosseum, we've got to think that we on stage at the same time as two other productions. So we, they will have one production on the main stage and then one parked behind it and one parked to the side on stage right. And can we actually make that happen? Um, also, as production manager, um, I've had the opportunity to work both here in the UK and in the Netherlands as production manager. And you do have to realise that the role of production manager is very different between the two countries. And where I started as production manager in the Netherlands, it is almost more of a producer role that you would have in the UK. And when the UK is production manager, you're much more on the front, the, the sort of the, the, the call phase of the technical side of things, um, looking at technical feasibility, making sure that the designer's wishes come true and get made and, and what he or she has asked for, is that possible and how are we going to make that happen? And, and that is really very much um, the thrill of the job in this country, really, is that you've got also so much input to help um, to create that vision. And of course, Terry Jane also mentioned uh, money. <laughs> she gets to decide where, where that, that money gets spent. And from the producer, I get given a budget of, well, this is what you've got, particularly for the set, which I am responsible for, and make it work. 
He gets the lion's share of the money, actually. <laughs> <laughs> He's not telling you that, but um, you, you need to have a very good and close relationship with your production manager because at the end of the day, they nearly hold the biggest budget. And so you rely on them to, um, to talk to all the time, to keep you informed of any changes, uh, particularly if it looks like you're heading for an overspend. Um, but it is a very close working relationship. There's something I need to tell you about Go. Porgy and Bess. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to tell me it's so spent, it's not. Um, yeah, so, so that's a very important relationship, yeah. and he has the lion's share of, of the money, certainly yeah. for what you're going to see on stage. And what about producing in opera? Are there specifics to the role working in this medium? I suppose there are. I mean... For a start, you're dealing with chorus and orchestra. You're dealing with, with a much larger group of people than you would be if you were in the theatre. Probably not that different to producing in ballet, because in ballet you've got dancers and orchestras on the whole. But um, we are spread across a lot more... You've got a lot more areas. You've got your casting, which you would have if you were doing theatre or a West, um, musical. But we have a chorus of 40. Sometimes it can be a chorus of 80. And again, they're a large chunk of money in your budget and an orchestra and then it's just um, the way you can rehearse with chorus and orchestra is very much dictated by their union rules and the house rules so again um, you we work long days we work very long days but uh, they have to be curtailed when you're dealing with those groups of bodies who can only do six hours in a day so that's slightly different um, anything else that's different about opera? It, it, it is dealing with those different disciplines, with, yes, with so is. many different disciplines. I also come from a ballet background myself, production managing on that side. And I almost want to say that ballet dancers are more forgiving. Um, in the world of opera and ballet, um, I was always taught that, oh, it's just the ballet, that the opera is the big thing, is the big art form. And yes, it has more money, it costs more, um, but it just has more layers to it um, and as again as production manager I get to set up I get given the global planning of what the house has already decided what we are going to do and when we're going to do uh, certain rehearsals on stage I get the privilege to sort of break that down to more detail and decide what we're going to do technically to try and achieve every rehearsal as needed and yes um, on, on the technical side of things I need to think of the breaks of the technicians, um, and it's not just stage technicians, but everybody behind the scenes as well. So we, we're dealing with multidisciplinary uh, disciplines at the same time, trying to make that all work. Um, and that is where it differs primarily, uh, indeed, from possibly theatre. Almost a larger jigsaw then, you think? Yes, it's a larger jigsaw, but in s I've not worked in theatre, I've only ever worked in opera. Um, but I think in theatre, certainly my colleagues who produce, when they get on stage, they work really much more solidly. They're long days. I mean, I work a long day. I will start at eight and I will finish at midnight. But they're on stage the whole time because their actors have different working rules. We're here, you know, we... So, yes, it, the pattern of a day changes quite a lot with groups coming in and out all the time and you're trying to manage those different layers and make sure everyone's informed of the same things. I think it's the communication that's probably quite yeah. difficult with that big disparate group of people who flow in and ebb, ebb in and out. How was your journey in your career? What brought you to producing? Was it always something you wanted to do? Um, Nick, you already mentioned that you've straddled two roles already <laughs> in your career. Was it 
something you always thought of doing? No, so I wanted to become an actor. I thought I'd be really good at that. <laughs> um, and then by accident found myself backstage during a rehearsal and I was told by the technical director, go to that rope and when I say go, you pull at that. And I had no idea what was going to happen and I pulled at that rope and I looked on stage and a piece of scenery came down and gracefully and it was because I did that. And I, I was sold right away. I just knew <laughs> that's what I want to do. Um, I, I'm not at all looking for the limelight to be the person who gets all the applause. I, I get the thrill of just seeing the show running and, and being great and being enjoyed by the audience. That, that's a thrill enough. So that's how I got into it and then gradually went into stage management, found that I really liked that, running the show, live show, live entertainment is fantastic. It's just really got a buzz to it. Um, and then it's a, it's a natural progression, really sort of stage management, possibly into production management, if you like that kind of thing. Um, but I'm sure we'll get to talk later on about what you need to to have to actually enjoy the role and, and be yeah, good at what you do. Mm -hmm. um, I did a music degree, and then at the end of that, uh, I was a bassoonist, so I played in an orchestra for a year. But I got more of a kick out of bossing the musicians around than being a musician. And so I then got a scholarship to do music administration, which was in, in its early days then in terms of a degree. And then after that, I went to Glyndebourne and worked there. And then I went to the Royal Opera House, where I was company manager for 12 years. Mm. And then um, my boss from the Royal Opera House came here and asked me to come in as a project manager, which I did. And then I was probably one of the first producers in opera in the country, in, in the UK. Um, and it really just evolved out of the way we had a different artistic director by then who wanted to manage the productions um, in a more hands-on way, in a more, um, in a more cohesive way in the company. We found that everything was very siloed and we didn't have this overall view and he decided that he'd seen producers working in Scandinavia and that he wanted to bring the system into the UK or certainly into this house. So um, I, I don't think I was even asked. I think I was just told that that's what I was going to do. So I, I didn't have any formal training for it, but having gone through all the company management and you know project management, pretty much had those skills. What are those skills, do you think, that makes a great producer or a, or a great production manager? Or what have you learned <coughs> to develop through your skills? Terry Jane, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you need to be highly organised. I think you need to be diplomatic. You need to be able to um, build a very good relationship with your creative team. That's nearly the most important thing, followed by being diplomatic with them. Um, and then you need to be fiscally aware. And just have um, an, eye, an eye for what's going on on the stage and trying to anticipate problems. Um, and just, yeah, it's, it really is about communicating with all your colleagues, with the creative team, all your colleagues, and aiming towards the, the same end product. Which isn't always easy. Actually, people see shows in different ways. And that can be the most complex, complex um, bit of the jigsaw to put in. And it, it would be fair to say that I've sometimes sat there and I've had a disagreement with my artistic director about how something should be done. But at the end of the day, if you don't win it, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter as long as it is what the company wants to present and your artistic director feels it's fulfilling um, his, his vision for that show and the audience. You're delivering what the audience want. 
I feel on on the production management side of things, you have less, you can, or you should have less of an opinion about what the creative team have come up with. It is your job to support them to deliver their vision. It is not your vision, so um, you've got to be able to to accept that and and sometimes go against what you would like to do and follow the instructions of the producer, but also of, of the creative team of this is what you're going to do. So, so it's, that, it's that ability to, to just go, fine, that is what they want, and do it to the best of your ability to give them that. Um, absolutely, you have to be organized. Um, fiscally aware, absolutely, always. Um, keep looking at where you are on, on spending, on time. Uh, and then the third pillar to me always is the quality of something. Um, those, those three aspects are so important to continuously um, keep in mind. Uh, you've got to be able to deal with stress. Um, Porgy and Bess is a prime example f for me at the moment. It is so stressful at the moment. And, and we are pushing, pushing, we're pushing the limits of what the building can, can do physically what our staff are able to do, you have to be prepared to work long hours. Do not expect to have a weekend off two, three weeks before an opening night. It, that's just not going to happen. If you think you're going to have a nice, easy time working in theatre because it's glamorous, it's not. <laughs> it is really hard work and, and it's not just the production manager that works hard, everybody works hard. Um, and, and everybody's got to be able to deal with criticism. You've got to have a thick skin and, and keep going. Um, so, so it's just that, that drive to want to get to opening night. And I think it's that thrill also that opening night is set and it's not going to go away and, and you, you, can, you, you can't imagine it not happening. Um, and, and you've got to love what you do. You've, you know, it's, it's, it's no use trying to be the person in a role that, that you're not comfortable in and be honest with yourselves and, and you, you're all very young and sort of at the start of, of your careers and go and explore and see what, what you like um, and, and what makes you happy um, and that's very important also in that production manager role. Can we unpack a bit more the key relationships um, that you have to work with and that you have to form? You talked of course the key relationship between producer and production manager and um, what are the other ones that make the show tick? From my side, it's um, primarily the set designer. Uh, the, the des and obviously that person sometimes also designs other parts of, of the production. But I th that I really love about the job is, is, is that interaction, that forward, backwards, forward, backwards, from the moment that you've seen the white card model to when we move to the actual model and um, being able to, 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 to just br uh, brainstorm about how we're going to solve this, how we're going to solve that. Um, and then also in, in this building, um, one of my very key relationships is with what the, 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 the people have so many different titles in the industry, but a crew chief or uh, your, your head carpenter, in our case, the show team managers um, who run the crew on stage. It's that relationship to be able to keep that person motivated to just keep going. Um, and and get things done. That, that's a real key relationship, and it's a key and and you have key relationships with so many departments in a house like E and O. 
um, think about the rehearsal room venue, where wherever that is, your transport, logistical department, your maintenance department, uh, all the other technical departments, because you are the person that their go-to person. You are the person that has all that technical information, and need to to disseminate that in the organisation. That's that's sort of from from me. Um, that that is information going, if I can say, down. And obviously, my upward information is particularly to the producer, but then in this case, also the um, technical director. Um, for me, it's obviously the creative team. Um, so when the director's appointed, we usually sit down with the director and appoint the rest of the creative team. So that's a very close relationship because you guide them the whole way through the process. You're setting their white card model delivery date, their final model delivery date. You're sitting and having those very awkward um, conversations about, you know, they're 50% over budget, what are they going to cut without, you know, destroying the artistic integrity. So, and, and those are quite complex conversations to have because everyone gets, you know, very personal and, um, <laughs> you know, feels very um, uh, compromised by them sometimes. And you've got to try and provide, you know, let them feel that they're going to still get a great show for that. You then have an assistant director who works with the director. We call them staff directors here. We tend to have a lot of staff directors. Um, you really rely on them when you get into the rehearsal room. You can't be in the rehearsal room the whole time because at any time I can be managing five or six um, shows I'm producing on a long-term scale. So I don't get into the rehearsal room every day. I get up there a couple of times a week. I go to production meetings. So the, the assistant director I'm in touch with every day Likewise, stage management team are really key. These are the people you rely on telling you if something's going wrong when you're not there. And that's really what you need. You need another pair, you know, not one pair, you need a number of pairs of eyes and ears in the rehearsal room who can report back to you. Everyone sees things differently, so that's also useful. Sometimes not useful if they've all got a different version. But but when the versions align, that's really helpful. Um, and the conductor, we mustn't forget the conductor. <laughs> <laughs> the conductor in opera. People do forget the conductor. They tend to sometimes not be brought into the process until quite late. Um, we, we actively try not to do that. It's not always easy because often your conductors are in other parts of the world. Sometimes they really don't see the set until they arrive for rehearsals. Um, but more and more we're trying to find, you know, find ways of linking them in, whether they Skype in, whether we get, you know, try and make sure that the director is passing through another town they can meet. But they have to buy into the concept. If they don't, you really have a very rocky rehearsal room. And it does, I think, show in the final product if you've got a, a conductor in the pitch who doesn't really believe in what's going on on stage. Thank you so much. Um, so you both mentioned that often you work on shows at different points in their trajectory on the same day, during the same working period. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the different to-do lists for different shows at different points in their journey and how you keep on top of all of that. I think Terry Jane's to-do list is longer than mine at the moment. <laughs> if, if we talk about uh, Porgy and Bess. Mm. Um, as, as Porgy and Bess is a very specific case also because it's a co-production with two other houses. So that, that, that brings in a whole load of, of, of other complications, which I'm sure Terry Jenny's even much more aware of than I am. Um, and I came onto the production really late when the design had already been finalized. 
the company who was actually going to build uh, the, the design, that had all been decided already. So I was trying to play catch up. Um, but your to-do list starts from the moment that you see the design and you immediately start thinking about how are we going to do this? Um, again, physically, how are we going to do it, but also financially. So those are your two main priorities, I think, at the beginning of the process. And as it evolves, just more things come in. Think of all the logistics of how do you get things um, made up ready for rehearsal. Certain things are absolutely necessary already five weeks before you even get onto stage for people to rehearse on. Um, later on, it, it, it just keeps snowballing up until, for, for me, I believe, dress rehearsal. I hope that dress rehearsal, all my, all my boxes have been ticked and everything I hoped to achieve um, has been achieved. Um, so it's, it's difficult to sort of pinpoint what is on that list because it's just, it's immense. Uh, and, and you just have to keep thinking of, of masking, of, of, of timings of things, of fixing things that go wrong. Um, you, you get onto stage and you have the real set and then suddenly you see something doesn't work. So it means, again, speaking to the workshops to come in and change things. It's just, just a few examples um, of what is on my to-do list. Um, we started this project three years ago, and it's been quite, it's been quite a long process, actually. Um, but in that time, it, it does ebb and flow as to what's on your list. We, have, we are co-producing with Amsterdam and The Met. Uh, the creative team were put together three years ago. The, the, the Met had a very specific team they wanted to do this project with, and it was a team we've worked with here before, so that was great. Um, a year ago, I was in New York uh, for a conference and I dropped by the Met for a meeting and I walked in and the first thing I was told was the director had withdrawn. And we'd already done the white card model showing. Uh, so we had, we had a design we'd signed, essentially signed off on. We still had more work to do on it and we didn't have a director. So that in itself threw a curveball. We also throughout the process, as Nick said, you're aware of your building you're building a set that's got to go into two other houses. The other two houses are really quite different. They're all different size stages. Um, our stage is quite antiquated compared to theirs. They have lots of whiz-bang machinery, so for them it's easy. This is a big set for us. I know it doesn't necessarily look it. I mean, the floor's quite big. You can see through the houses, but this is a very big set. When we signed off the designs for this set, we knew we were going to be doing a new production of Salome, but we had no designs for that. So you're also juggling all of the variables. You have no idea of what they're going to be. Um, and you have a timeline for producing an opera. It's quite simple. You know, you, you put your creative team together. At about um, 15 months, we like to do the white card model. We then have a two-month gap, we do the final model. We have that gap so we can get the budgets together, we can get the drawings together. I'd like to tell you it, it's, pretty, it's pretty regular, it doesn't, it slips. <laughs> um, we very rarely hit the final model when we should because you're also working with people that are away all the time, travelling around the world, so, and they have other calls on their time. I mean, in my, in my experience, everyone does too much work. It's, it's natural, if you're offered a job, you want to do it. People need to make a living, um, so they take on masses of work, and then you're juggling with not only your own house schedule, but you're you know working against other opera companies or other theatres and other countries. And then it's once you get 
actually into the production period, it's really the busiest, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, you have a very busy period once the final model's signed off and you're going to workshops to get quotes and yeah. then it starts yeah. building. But for me, it, it sort of takes a back seat. You just make sure that everyone's got the rehearsal schedule, that you've cast your actors, you've done your children, you've done the licensing, you've got everybody you need in place, you've done production meetings. But when you get into your sort of rehearsal period, that's when it's, it's really very frantic. Meanwhile, you've got another five or six shows in different stages of development. You just need lots of lists and big wall charts. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, and, you know, and lots of reminders. And you know what? I'm going to be honest, some things slip. But it's not a disaster, providing you can pick it. You have to occasionally admit you make a mistake, most important thing I would say. Um, you ha occasionally have to admit you might have forgotten something. But if you've got a really good relationship with your colleagues, they'll help you get out of a, a tight spot. I'm, and I would like to say I've never got into a spot I couldn't get out of. And that's because you have a really close relationship with all the people you work with. Some of them you might not, but most of them you do. It's like a big family here. Yeah, Everyone helps true. each other. It's a really lovely company to work for. And because we are a repertory company and we do work, you know, here 12 months of the year and we work on very hard projects sometimes, um, everyone is completely supportive. And that's really important when you're producing because you're not a one-man band. You're only as good as the team you work with. Amazing. You slightly alluded to challenges as you were going through. For you, what are the main challenges um, when you're doing a show? We can then talk about the most exciting parts, but let's go for the challenges first. <clears throat> the Coliseum is, boy, it's, it's a fantastic stage to be on. Um, having come from uh, Amsterdam, where I worked in a theater for almost 12 years that was built in the 80s, and you stand on stage and you look into a modern auditorium, you stand on the Coliseum stage, you look into the audience and you just go, I work in a real theatre. And as much as the audience looks at the, at the glamour of the house in the auditorium, um, unfortunately behind the Iron Curtain, as Terry Jane alluded to, it's quite antiquated. Uh, antiquated. Um, we are challenged in this house with what looks like on paper is a huge stage, is a vast space which we, or the designers and the creative teams, want to fill. And they want to use this great big space to be able to show us fantastic new things that they have thought of, the productions. Unfortunately, we are working with two other productions at the same time. Um, so those are the biggest challenges, is to see how can we fit the vision of the team into the building between the other shows. Terry Jane mentioned that when this was designed, Salome, which is already in performances, hadn't been designed. And it's that constant looking of how is this puzzle going to, how, how do you move the pieces around on the chessboard that is the stage to make it all work? And that is the biggest challenge here. Um, Porgy and Bess is the second production into the building. So from my point of view, I count myself very lucky because we've still got lots of space. After Thursday next week, production number three comes in and then we're going to be just so tight on space. And, and that's when the reality hits in of, ooh, what have we done? What have we thought of? What are all the contingencies that we've put into place to make all these three productions work? 
Um, and that's, I think that's the biggest challenge for me is in this house, is, is that system of working. And just to clarify, that's uh, keeping the sets backstage you're talking about? Backstage, yes. It's, it's, it's the fact that we cannot just take it out of the building every night, even though after each performance we change over because in the next morning you have a rehearsal of another performance. Yeah. So you have to, after the performance, start taking away what was on stage and while that's being taken away, bring something from the storage side upstage, bring that onto stage to make space upstage to put the rest of the production that was in performance. It's, it's completely crazy. It's but double it's... handling because it's all manhandled because we have no machinery. It is all manhandled. So they are always moving bits of a jigsaw around and sometimes you know, they're moving it three or four times to be able to get the set into place. So it's very laborious. Um, and it's hard work, you know, it's physically hard work for some of those, yeah. those men. Uh, but, you know, but, and they, they love doing it. My challenge is just actually letting, um, it, it's actually having enough money to, to let the creative team um, deliver their vision. We, we have big budgets, but we have a big stage to fill. We have a lot of people to clothe. Um, and we are pretty much working to budgets we were working to five years ago which probably five years ago gave us a lot more for them because you know we've had inflation, um, metal's gone up in price, labor's gone up in price. Uh, it's, it's providing technical things like we did Ilanthi recently and they wanted a lot of flying. Flying is very expensive. We have to bring in specialists who can do it um, and can put all the rigging in. And it's just working out where you want to spend your money. It's trying to hold a little back. Sometimes you've got contingency. I don't ever really have enough contingency tucked away, but you've got to tuck, you've got to, you've got to tuck some away somewhere. Otherwise, otherwise, all you spend up doing during the production period is going no, no, no. You must say no because they need to hear it, but occasionally you've got to give them a win. And it's choosing the moment you're going to give them the win. And sometimes, sometimes you know, they'll have a very good case for wanting it, and, and you agree because you think it's a really good, good reason and you'll work through the process and you'll get on stage and all of a sudden they'll decide they're going to cut it. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. But that is also part of the creative process. You know, you can't, you can't insist they're going to keep something because you've spent the extra money on it or you've spent money on it. You've got to be willing to know that if they're cutting something, they're making you know, a valued artistic judgment. It is a very valid part of the process to cut something. And how have you refined that instinct to know when to push, when to pull, how to negotiate these things with, with teams? I don't, I don't really know, actually. I think it's, it just comes experience. with experience. It's completely experience. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes I still get it wrong. Yeah. You know? I, think, I think also what Terry Jane said earlier about her path to getting to her producer role, and very much the same for me to my production role, is for our generation <laughs> but 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 nowadays there there are all these courses that 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 you are all on you you all following these educational lines to 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 get to what you hope is is to to go and do something that you love and as much as i appreciate that and think it's great that there are these possibilities for young people to to learn these skills you will never learn everything you need to know to be able to do the job at school. It, it is 
it is years and years of experience doing productions, making mistakes, having those wins, having those losses, and that is how you learn. Um, and sharing with colleagues, actually. Um, because we do a lot of international work and I tend to travel with the productions, I don't, I don't stay with them for a long period, but I make sure we get all the information ready to hand over and then I usually go over for you know, some early rehearsals or the first night. You build up your, your contacts throughout, you know, throughout the world. I mean, we work with America an awful lot, we work through Europe a lot. And it's knowing that occasionally you can pick up the phone and ask someone how did they do something or you worked with this director, what was the most challenging thing? It's making sure you've done your homework before you meet a new director so that you don't know everything about them but you might know what hits their buttons, what, what's important to them, you know, what challenges they might throw your way. And it really is just sort of about doing as much research as you can but talking to colleagues, building networks and, yeah, getting out there and doing it. You've got to get out there and do it. You'll learn, you'll learn that way quite yeah. quickly. What have been your greatest learnings then? Maybe things you wish you'd stumbled across a bit earlier than you did or things that you learnt really early on and still use today? I don't know, actually. I think it probably is. It is letting go of something if a director wants to cut mm. an element. I've had some very big elements of set cut which really goes against the grain because you know what you've spent on them. Um, but you do need to let your... You need, to, you need to trust your, your director's vision. Uh, you also need to... I think actually the biggest thing probably is for me going and asking someone for help if I need it, actually. Mm. I, I don't really like doing that. It's, it's counterintuitive. And, um, but if you can do that when you really need some advice, I think that's the best thing I've, I've learned. It's the hardest thing I've learned. Also, I'm not very good. At, I'm, not, I'm really not good at... at um, Delegating, and you need to be able to delegate when you're a producer or you burn yourself out yeah. because you're trying to do everything. Yeah. And I think I've, I've got a lot better at that recently, but uh, it, um, really, you, you need to hone that skill because if you try and do everything, it's, that's when you start missing things. I, I agree with Terry Jane on that. It's, it's that feeling of letting go, being able to let go and trust the team around you that they will do what is best for the production and to support you, um, and indeed for myself as well. It's, it's really taken a long time to understand it will get done even if you don't do it yourself. Um, uh, if you have a good team around you, that is what will happen. Um, you still check up on them. <laughs> <laughs> and you make sure that Always. they're not overspending. <laughs> you trust them, but you only trust them to a certain degree, okay? <laughs> Amazing. Um, I think we're going to open up to questions from the floor now. You, you mentioned um, financial challenges um, and staying within budget, and that's mm -hmm. key. Um, if you're mid-production, whether at the, the white card level or, or beyond that, um, and you're working for such a large organization, what are your personal responsibilities if you are going over budget and do you have the agency within this organization to, to go out and get more money yourself or is that not done? Is that the artistic director? Is that the development office? It, are you fired after that? <laughs> <laughs> or I'm still here after 19 years. <laughs> um, I hold, as, as producer, I hold the overall budget. Having said that, because we are an opera company and we're in that slightly unique situation of having 
chorus and orchestra, those budgets are handled in a different area. So if they're overspent, I don't get shot for that. Um, but the other areas I do have to hold control over completely. So Nick, as I said, will get all the money for the, the sets and it's the biggest chunk. And if he is having trouble, I will expect him to come to me. If we can't balance out a project because there is an overspend for some problem or, or something that's unforeseen, I, and I can't solve it myself. Firstly, I will try and solve it myself. I will look at my budgets and see if I've got money elsewhere that I can reapportion to balance it out. And I can balance, well, I'm not supposed to take it from a previous show, but I can take it within the column for the whole show. And because I'm managing, we've got, we've got, you know, some music costs, which will not be chorus and orchestra, but there'll be music costs, there'll be cast costs, there'll be actors and children, and then there's sets, props and costumes and there's creative teams. That's quite a few figures that have a bit of flex in them. So if I can balance it up within that, that's my call. Um, if I can't, then my first port of call will be go to go to the finance director, who um, at ENO has a great history of working in the music industry. He was with orchestras before, he was at WNO, and he's been here for a very long time. And he has a real sensibility for the art form, which can be unusual, but it's great because it means if I go to him with a problem, he will try and help me solve it. If we can't solve it, then it does have to go up to the artistic director and the CEO and they make a choice about how they want to deal with it. Um, we have on occasions fundraised to have a specific element into a show. Like Ilanthi, again, going back to Ilanthi, when they wanted to put the flying in, we didn't have the money, we simply didn't. And that director said, if I go out and I raise £30,000, will you let me put it against the show? Now, normally, we're not allowed to do that because it has to go into our um, development funding stream. But because the development department had hit its funding stream for that show, they made an exception and said, yes, you can go out and you can fundraise it and we'll put it in. And we did. So everyone is slightly different. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I think there have been shows that have overspent um, for, often they come out of technical staffing, don't they? Yeah. You've done a show, it's big, it's exciting, you love the designs and what you really didn't work through, and when I say you, I mean the technical director, production manager, show manager, a whole group of us didn't really um, interrogate what it was going to do to our staffing levels on stage or our wig and makeup levels. You know, we've had a show where we've had to end up with 20 dresses, which we just didn't foresee because we had so many people on stage and they had so many quick changes. And sometimes you just can't predict those. So, you know, you, you do get overspends. We haven't had an over, a very big overspend for many, many years. In fact, I would say in the last four years, we've pretty much hit most of our budgets with tiny overspends of four or five thousand pounds which is is pretty good hi so um you mentioned before uh, that you would like to help achieve the director's vision or the creative director's vision but how much of the production is your vision and how you would like to see the production turn out not very much that's not what a producer's about <laughs> um i'm there to facilitate everyone's work um I will occasionally ask for things I, to come out of, out of rehearsal. If we're on stage and I see something I think looks wrong or, you know, 
people are just missing various things, then I will have that input. But it's, it's more about facilitating and, and giving them the conditions to, to deliver the show they want to deliver. And which, by the way, is the, the vision the artistic director of this company has signed off on. Um, during a run of a show, um, what are you doing as the production manager? Are you pretty much just looking at your next show? Yeah, um, so as, as a freelancer um, or, or even being full-time um, in this company when I was here full-time, you are already working two, three productions ahead. So I think you're very happy when uh, dress rehearsal has come and gone and gone well, so you can start worrying about other productions. Um, every production manager approaches it differently but I don't think you have the capacity in, in the work that we do at the level that we do it to be able to keep following every performance of a production that you've put on. So for me, it is opening night and then I step back or it's dress rehearsal and I step back. And then it is up to stage management and the technical team to take ownership of the production and run with it. And, and they've got to look after it. I'm already thinking, um, eight weeks in advance with Porgy and Bess of how we're going to get it off stage. I was very much integral in, in the planning of to getting it on stage, but now I'm, you know, the, the crew are just thinking about the next performance right now. I'm thinking about how we're getting that off stage. I'm thinking about the next production, which is in design phase, which is being costed up. Um, how am I going to break the news to that designer that something is too expensive? So, so you're already quite a few steps and weeks uh, further on. So we've been pretty much talking about what your roles are during the creative process, but that's probably not all of it. So what happens after opening night and when you go on tour, the creative team isn't going to travel with you, is it? So something comes up, there's a problem, who makes the decisions now? And the creative team go away with it and, and put it on in the other venues. So, um, I mean, we're mainly responsible for handing it over to the next company it's going to, because we don't take the companies out on tour here. We send the sets, props and costumes out, we send it with the creative team, and we send all the backup information. So we send all the technical information, all the running plots, uh, archives, everything they need, all the contracts. And as I say, I dip in and out a bit just to give them advance information, but we just send them all off. It's so the whole crew, or like the cast doesn't go with cast the cast doesn't go, no, they start and do rehearsals again in another venue, in opera particularly. They go to another house and it will be cast with complete... Because we sing in English too, because we sing in English here, and virtually every other company we work with sings in the original language, they therefore cast it with different people. Um, but that aside, each house has its own chorus and orchestra, so they go off and they have to rehearse the same show. I mean, when it finishes here, um, James has, I think, James is the director, he has three weeks off to go home and then he starts rehearsing for another eight weeks with the cast, doing exactly the same thing again. Yeah. And on, on the production manager's side of things, um, unfortunately for me, coming onto the project so very late, I, I didn't have as much input as I would have liked to, um, which you normally have in a co-production, um, is seeing how technically you're going to make this production work in both houses. And, and not thinking at all about cast and, and, and that creative side, but purely technical, how does it fit? And with Porgy and Bess, we are three co-producers. So, so it's even doubly, it's, it's three times the, the, the trouble that you could have. Um, <clears throat> and it was very challenging on, on this pr production 
with New York being the instigators, the leaders of the, the, the project, and Amsterdam building the show, and then us having the great opportunity of opening the production. Um, and that, that's, that's thrown so many challenges at us and at me personally that I had never expected. Um, I had anticipated some, but, but you, 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 you completely thrown a curveball by not being able to be completely in control of it. But it is after opening night, after the last performance here, it is a, there is a formal handover of now it's, it's your baby. And, and we've done everything we can to give it in as good a shape as possible with all the information that we have of how it is run, how it fits together to the next show, to the next house. Sometimes we do send technical staff out as well to support it. So often um, they will ask for our show supervisor and a wardrobe mistress to go just, just for a few days to make sure the build on stage is fine or the costume fittings start off okay. Uh, but they're usually the only staff we do send out for a few days. Hi, so just follow up on that. And um, so how do you, especially during the handover sort of period, how do you, how, like, how do you communicate with the new team, especially in, uh, I know, because both of you work like cross country, like internationally. So how do you with, deal with the disagreements or like discussion uh, like occurred, especially like because of the cultural sort of difference? And how and the overlap of responsibilities during the handover period, especially. Thank you. Um, most of it is predicated by the contract you've got. Um, we have very watertight contracts, actually co-production contracts, and these are companies we've worked with a lot. So actually, there is very rarely conflict. Um, we all agree, we, we all pretty much agree on the parameters from the word go, and they're clearly scoped out, and we stick to them, and if there's an issue, we all get on the phone or have a Skype and try and solve them. Um, I don't think I've really ever had conflict at handover, because that would be way too late, to be honest. Yeah, and I think, again, what, what Terry Jane's saying, communication, just keep talking to one another. You've got to keep talking about the, the, the problems you are facing, um, we, we've encountered this, this is, how we, and this is how we intend to solve something because that same problem will be at the next house. From my side of things, technically, what, what have I come across that doesn't quite work, we need to fix it. And in a co-production, you decide collectively how to approach a problem like that. And culturally, um, I, I think having also lived in Holland for quite a while, people find me in, in the UK, find me something a bit too direct. Um, I've, that sort of rubbed off on me, that whole Dutch rudeness. They're not rude at all, they just tell you the way it is. Um, but it, it's, 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 I've, I've grown used to that, and, and I've, I've seen some, some of my colleagues here look at me going, you know, you can't say that to me in that way. You've, you've got to beat about around the bush. But it's, it's, that's, that's, it's, it's because it's interesting that you ask about the cultural differences. And, and here we are still within Europe. I have not done um, a co-production with, with an Asian country uh, where, where the mm -hmm. cultural differences are much more. And again, Terry Jane said, we, we co-produce with companies that we've done co-productions with before. And obviously, you also choose your co-producers um, Partly, I suppose, culturally, because you, you have the same yes, vision. You want to have the same vision. You have the vision. same vision of a production. Um, and then, of course, also because technically you are able to, or to some degree, able to replicate 
in every product, in every house, did the same thing? I mean, we do work with new co-producers, but we're very careful in terms of we make sure they come and visit us, but we also make sure we go and visit them. We list out all the things we want to work through so that there's nothing missing. And that comes out of the contract, actually. We do the contract very, very early so they can hit all those headline things and discuss them. It's things like, you know, in some places, um, they have a whole company of actors they can use whenever they want, or dancers, and we don't have that. So for us, we need to make sure it's very clear that we're going to have a limited number of those, where, you know, if it goes, goes on sometimes to Oslo, where they have, they have a, a, a company of, you know, 20 dancers, they can put 20 dancers into a show. We're not going to do that. We're going to do six if we can afford it. But we've just, again, developed a checklist, and we're very upfront about it and collaborative and hear what they have to say as well. It's just about talking, yeah, it's communication. Mm. Hi. Um, as producer in such a big company when there's so many different departments that can help out with certain things, um, how involved are you in the marketing of the shows themselves? Um, not that involved. Um, it, I have to be honest, it's not an area I'm particularly interested in. I'm not supposed to say that. Um, I have a view. <laughs> I have a view, but I don't really have a lot to do with it. Having said that, I do brief the marketing department on what the um, director's vision will be and the creative team's vision will be. They like to come in very early to white card model showings. We try to hold them back from that because sometimes what you see at white card model is not what you get at final model for a whole host of reasons. Um, mainly sometimes it's too big to fit on the stage or it's too expensive to go on the stage. And so if they've come in early and they've seen it and they think, hey, this is going to be a great show and they go off and sell it on that and then it's a piece that's been cut. It doesn't work. So we try and hold back a little bit from them. But we do brief them. Um, but once they've been briefed, I sort of feel they know that end of the business way better than I do. I let them get on with it. In relation with that, uh, uh, young audiences. Yeah. How you, you both have been many years in the field, and it seems that every year is more, more difficult to attract them. So have you seen any important change in the... In, in the types of shows you do to attract these young audiences? That's really a question for our artistic director. <laughs> uh, no, that's right. Um, look, yes, we are trying to obviously bring in young audiences. Interestingly, it's a lot of marketing initiatives that are doing that. I mean, it is the shows itself. You know, we've just done a new Salome by a young Australian director. It's, um, it's a very contemporary uh, feminist reading and so in that respect we're hoping to bring in new younger people to see it but the marketing department are trying all sorts of things to reach out to different groups so we do opera undressed which is a night where people who've never been to the opera come in and they can see it for I think it's 25 pounds a ticket there's a talk um, and then we try and bring them back with with new shows it's just about reaching out and trying to find different people we're also we have the Bayless program which obviously appeals to our 11 to 18 year olds and they do fantastic work going into schools, working with disadvantaged groups, um, working with um, uh, immigrant groups. So again, you're bringing in your different bodies of people and we are looking at uh, branching into possibly doing um, a program for younger children, although that market is, is also quite well um, delivered by other companies around the place. It's tricky because it's about finding something different that they're not doing at the Royal Opera House or they're not doing at the National Theatre 
or it's about linking up with all of them and trying to attract the same theatre-going audience, but to bring them in and have a go at opera instead of going to the theatre or going to an art gallery. I hope you don't. For, I hope you'll forgive the uh, artistic or perhaps philosophical question um, for each of you. Um, for this organization, which delivers a very high standard of artistic excellence, right, yes. sets the standard in yeah. some ways. Um, what are your challenges, each of you, um, to deliver artistic excellence? Money. <laughs> My challenge is I have a really great team of um, artisans who want to make everything look so beautiful. And sometimes you have to persuade them that sitting up in the upper circle, someone's not going to see if it's, you know, a cup that's made to, you know, the period of Elizabeth I. And you laugh, but actually, they really do try to make everything really period here. So um, that's challenging. And people have great pride in what they do. And we do make things beautifully. The costumes are always made beautifully. I mean, everything's always made beautifully. But it is a financial constraint that we simply can't, can't do that all the time. And the other thing that's really difficult is because because you've got your props and costume people and, and indeed Nick floating in and out of the rehearsal room all the time during the pre-stage pre period. Um, you know, the director will catch them and go, oh, I just like this, and they go, yeah, fine, and they trot off and they do it because they want to give them everything they want. But sometimes they're not looking at the entire vision and you have to sit back and go, that's nice, but it's not essential. So actually, sometimes it's just about making sure you are able to um, curb, curb the enthusiasm of your staff. Hi. Um, are you handed the projects that you do, or you do, do you pick and choose what you want to do? And if so, how do you select the ones that you want to do? So um, I've got a colleague who is the other producer. And on the whole, we've always been able to split out the shows we want to do. So when we look at a season, we, you know, a couple of years in advance, we will either, we'll have a discussion, of, well, no, I'm going to backtrack a minute, sorry. The artistic direct, director will sometimes say to us, you can go off and decide if, between yourselves what you want to do, or sometimes he'll go, I really want you to work with this director. We have, I have a relationship with a number of directors who have appeared here many times over the last, you know, 10 years. So if David Alden is coming in to do a show, I will always work on a David Alden show. If Clixto Beato is coming in, I will always do the Clixto Beato shows. So you have those. And then, and then on other occasions, Bob and I sit back and we'll just try and decide who wants to do what. I think only once ever have we had to have a really difficult conversation about a show we both wanted to do. But that's not bad when you think of, we've been working together for which, seven years. Do you remember which one that was? I do remember which oh, one it was, and I you, won, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then the show got cancelled. <laughs> so it didn't really matter in the end. But, but, but we didn't fall out over it. You know, you, you've, just, it's, you've got to have give and take with your, with your other producers. But on the whole, we complement each other. So, you know, it, it has a sort of natural pattern to it. And I think as, as a freelancer... Um, you have to be very grateful for work that is offered to you or that you are asked to, to, to do a show. Um, and sometimes you are in that very privileged position of where somebody says that person specifically wants to work with you mm. and knows that you will be able to deliver what they want. 
Um, but you have to be able to balance that with the fact of what is my next production? What, 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 do I, what will I be doing in six months' time when you do not have um, a full-time job in a company such as this? That's a very privileged position to be in. Um, I'm in the even, I think, even more privileged position that I can, can be asked to come and do a show here. That, that's fantastic. I mean, how great is that to be asked to come here and do, do a production? Um, so, so you have to just balance that and, and sometimes you have to say yes to projects that you maybe not want to do and, and sometimes you do the projects that you absolutely want to do and that's great. And as producer I usually get to uh, request the production manager I want because it is such an important relationship and that tends to also flow out to the costume supervisor and the prop supervisor to a degree but for me I just need to have a production manager I, I can work with and I can trust and I can trust to let them go off and do it and just come to me if there's a problem. Thank you so much. We're going to wrap it up there. Um, I want you to say a huge thank you to um, Nick and to Terry Jane. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Thank you.